We have a very special Marketing News Canada episode with our friends from POCAM, the people of color in advertising and marketing. What we did was we did a video walkthrough of the Call for Equity Progress Tracker and followed by a lively conversation with some amazing hosts that I was able to moderate. So be sure to check it out. POCAM is doing some incredible work. Link in the description. And thanks again for POCAM for hosting this town hall and for providing this lively discussion and information about the Call for Equity Progress Tracker. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the POCAM Town Hall. This is our second one of the year. We are so excited to have you all here, and uh, we're looking forward to a packed agenda and a fun hour together. Before we begin, we always start with a a land acknowledgement, and this is really important to us as we pay respect to the folks that were here, the original settlers of uh, the original folks who this land belongs to as we all settlers came and settled here. And so as we do that, I want to start by saying that this land that we're on has seen human activity for 15,000 years. It is the Dish with One Spoon Treaty. It is the Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory between the Anishinaabe, Mississauga, and Haudenosaunee peoples. Later, Indigenous peoples and all newcomers have been welcomed into this treaty in peace, friendship, and respect, us included. These Treaty 13 and Williams Treaties lands are the traditional territory of the Mississauga, Anishinaabe, Chippewa, and Haudenosaunee, and Wendat peoples. We recognize a history of broken or bad faith treaties and the urgent need for reconciliation. And I think we can say that now more than ever with what we've been experiencing here in Canada. We are really grateful to host this town hall from this land. Uh, And also, if you'd love to find out where you are currently situated and acknowledge that land, because of course we know we are all situated in various Indigenous lands, we've got a link on this slide, www.whose.land. Feel free to go there and do your own acknowledgement. We very much appreciate you doing that as well. So with that, let's begin. Thank you all for joining us today. The team at POCAM is really excited to kick off this discussion. For those of you who haven't experienced the POCAM team before or we're a new organization to you, we exist to ensure that the voice, vision, and talent of BIPOC professionals are fully and fairly present in Canadian advertising and marketing. And really, events like this today exist to bring us all together, talk about matters that are important to us, create awareness to what's going on in our society, but also have conversations that are important to have with many different diverse perspectives. There's a big group of us here on the POCAM team, and our reason for being and what we're trying to achieve is three things. The first being to educate, really teach and tell our industry of BIPOC contributions and those of us in this community. We've done things like the visible and vocal study that many of you may have experienced a few months ago, which really is about ensuring our voices come forward within both on a research perspective, but also just on a qualitative perspective, which is what something like this is for. 
The second component is to advocate and be the trusted industry voice of BIPOC professionals. And many of you are likely in our LinkedIn group, which is for BIPOC professionals only. And then finally, elevate, be a platform for BIPOC professionals to network, showcase, and grow their talent. Uh, if you're looking to learn more or interested in more later on, I'm going to sort of share all of our channels for you to learn more about us. So stay tuned. And this beautiful group, this is our uh, a combination of our founders who are asterisked as well as our steering committee. There's a couple of really important things we want to go through with you all. The first is around our call for equity tracker, which I'm going to talk to in just one second. The second is our awesome panel discussion with uh, a few folks just talking a little bit about a combination of call for equity and how we're doing as an industry. We sort of kicked this off a few months ago with the visible and vocal study that really talked about quantitatively how we're doing. But today we want to talk through different perspectives and, you know, some lessons and stories of how leaders in our industry think we're doing and what more there is to be done. And then finally, we want to hear from you. That's a really important part of this two-way relationship. If you have questions, there is the chat functionality. Please throw your questions in there and or the Q&A button, whichever one's easier for you to find. Uh, throw your question in there and we'll make sure to address it. And we would love to hear from as many of you as possible. And so as we jump into our first subject, which is the call for equity, we've got a little video that we want to share with you. But before we jump into it, I just want to sort of kick it off by sharing what call for equity is. And this started about a year ago, actually a year ago now, June 2020. And we are looking within the call for equity to demand a more equitable industry. And we know that our industry factually lacks diversity, inclusion, and various voices. And we all need to do a better job actually building an industry that has that equity incorporated in its DNA. And so what we've done is we've built this call for equity, which is 15 demands that both clients and agencies alike to adhere to in order to create justice, equity, and inclusion in our industry for Black, Indigenous, and people of color professionals. To date, 105 agencies and clients have answered the call. And what we wanted to do a year from when we actually put the call out there is to talk a little bit about how things are going and uh, what's next within the call for equity. So if I visit wearepocam.ca slash call for equity, I'm brought to this page that shows me up front just how many agencies have currently signed uh, the call for equity. And that's agency leadership who have signed on behalf of their agencies or organizations. And if you scroll down to the tracker, you'll see a list here that's just an alphabetized uh, view of all the organizations who have signed, um, the date they've signed, how many commitments they've completed, and when they last updated. So if we click on Baird & Welsh Inc., for example, we can see the signatories at the top. We can see uh, the, the commitments that they've agreed to and the progress against those commitments on the right-hand side. And now we'll have things like complete or intend to complete in six months, et cetera. But we can also log in and see what it takes to fill out this form. So if we go to Call for Equity Progress Tracker and we enter an email here, we'll enter our POCAM Gmail for now. It sends us a login link. We'll get that email and we're then given a link that authenticates us to the app. Once you're authenticated, you can enter in some details against that. So I'll just quickly fill this in. 
and you can select your, your company or organization. So how this works is once you've actually signed the commitment, it collects those addresses and it adds them to this list. So for this purpose, I'm going to um, say I work for Baird & Welsh Inc. And I'll say we're an agency and I'll submit that. Once you've registered on the admin side, we'll get an email that will allow us to approve or decline. So we're going to just be taking a look at your LinkedIn and your work email address just to ensure that you are who you say you are. So once you've submitted that form, you'll get an email saying that um, uh, you've requested tracker access. And then you'll also get an email once you're approved. So assuming that someone from the pro team believes you are who you say you are, you'll get a link and it'll ask you to log in. Now, once you've logged in, you can click on that link. You'll have access to the progress tracker. So if you take a look in here in this UI, um, it'll say your name on the top left. You'll have additional context against each of the commitments in case you need more detail. And you'll have the options to select not started, plan start date, intend to complete in three months, intend to complete in six months, or completed. Now, for the first two commitments, your requirement is that um, you also post a public link, so a title and a URL, and that information will be populated on your account. So you can scroll through and see all the different options here. So as an example, if you have a planned start date for commitment three, you would also be required to enter a month and year. But we'll switch it back to completed since Barrett and Welsh has already done that. Once you've made all your changes, you hit update progress and you can either view or continue editing. So let's go view and it'll kick you back to the call for equity page where all the stuff that you've, uh, all the progress that you've tracked will now be available on, on your account. So for example, Baron and Welsh, if we had made some changes to, um, you know, intend to complete or change one of these completes to intend to complete, that would have been updated in this UI. And for every organization that uses this application in the URL bar, which you can't see in the screen recording, but it actually provides you a direct link to your organization's results. So you can copy that link and share that out to uh, if you're trying to showcase the progress you made against the commitments. And that's pretty much how it works. We'll have more updates in the near future, including uh, a little bit of data visualization, and we're looking forward to sharing that with you soon. Thanks everyone for attending. Thanks so much to Josh from our team for that video. And and I wanted to actually play it before going into sort of why this exists, because I wanted you all to see the level of detail that we're, we're sort of diving into as it relates to the call for equity. And I think, though, really talking about why we've done this is super important. We know that there have been a lot of organizations and, you know, on the agency side and the client side that are doing the work as it relates to driving diversity and equity and inclusion within their environment. However, there's also a lot of talk still. And our role really is to drive action. And action comes through accountability. And for us, it's not enough that 105 agencies and clients have signed the call. That's great. The intention is great. But we want everybody to take that next step from intention into action. And so what we'd love is for all of you who have signed and who are signatories to continue to remain accountable a year in to this and for the years to come, remain accountable, uh, go in there, update your information and really share the amazing work that you're all doing for your employees and for all of us within the IPOC community. And what we will do is 
share this link. I think for those of you who are email subscribers, you've probably already seen this link come out, but we will make sure to share it. And I'll make sure to call this out later today again. But we'd love for everybody to go in there and remain accountable. And let's make sure we're all still doing the work because that's more important than identifying that we've signed the call. So with that amazing video and setup, I actually want to shoot it over to my partner in crime today, Darian, who will be moderating an amazing panel with these panelists, Chino, who is a talent acquisition specialist at MetaLab, Siobhan, who's a senior lead diversity and belonging at Shopify, and Gavin are from uh, Barrett and Welsh, who we heard from just before, who's actually updated the accountability tracker. Well done, Gavin, uh, who's a founder and chief creative officer there. So with that, I'm going to disappear and hand it over to Darian, who will lead a really great discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who came today. I think just even the fact that you showed up, that you showed interest, that you took the step to be here today is incredible. I think some of the biggest steps we can take is to be curious. And even, you know, some of these panelists that you'll hear from today are very curious people. They're people that are asking hard questions and not only asking hard questions of their employers, of the people they work with, but they're asking hard questions of themselves. And I think that's something that we all get to do right now. And so this is an opportunity essentially to overhear a discussion. And so we're going to have a chat. We're going to ask some questions and you get the chance to listen in and hopefully, you know, share some thoughts later ask some questions later and we can keep this dialogue going. And this is something that we can all be talking about. So I'm going to jump right in. First question, you know, and I'm going to kind of make it for anyone on the panel who wants to jump in with this. How has your employer reacted to the racial, societal, and cultural changes that are occurring outside of the office? So whoever wants to jump in first, how has your employer reacted? And it can be reacted maybe from last year to today. And are you seeing a change? So... Who wants to be the first to jump in there to this lovely I'll panel? Jump. I'll jump right in. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. So I work at MetaLab, which is a global design agency. And I think it's very interesting being global. We're not just Canadian based. So I think what they've done that's been really great is being very mindful and giving people the space that they need, right? You know, when I look back to the last year and just the turbulence and kind of the racial unrest, you know, you have folks that... For example, when they were storming the Capitol, who literally had to barricade their own home because they're right across the street to others who are living at the same time. You don't compare that to people who are living in Africa, where the majority of people are BIPOC community. Right. So, you know, them learning about this at the same time and kind of bridging the gap and creating safe spaces for people to talk and commemorate and to support each other. But I also think, you know, less so on the employee side, but from like an organization being extremely transparent in terms of where we sit in terms of the diversity within the company and, you know, changing our belongings page directly on our website to show, okay, here's where we are. It's not perfect, but here's what we're doing. And it's been great being on the talent and hiring side where I've come in and said, we need to change our hiring processes. And here's what we need to do. And, you know, it's great in creating internal channels for people to kind of talk and discuss and, and to learn. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, that was all quite positive and awesome. Give me your most like awkward moment story. What was it? Was there any kind of like awkward moments that, that, that you got through? Because I think that's the fear right now is people fear awkwardness. Right. You watch the office TV series and there's all it's full of awkwardness. But give me something that you had that was awkward and you got through it. Yeah, I think, you know, explaining to hiring managers, right? We're sourcing, right? It's, you know, you have a bunch of candidates, most people that apply 
are white cis males, to be perfectly candid. And me having to explain that and say, listen, this is great, but we're gonna, it's gonna take a little longer on this search. We need to do our due diligence to make sure we're reaching out to the right people and thinking outside of the box and you know, really kind of speaking in terms of literal black and white at points. It's awkward. It was awkward for the team to kind of, you know, overcome that. And how do we explain that without sounding weird? And it's in our face day to day, but making sure that it's present to our hiring managers. So that was interesting, but we've overcome that and, and did training um, with all the hiring managers after just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Amazing. How about you, Gavin? Maybe conversations you had with clients and, and discussions that you had that were like super awkward or but but so beautiful because of those conversations. I think the most awkward conversation I had with clients over the last year has been uh, at the intersection of uh, race and uh, the pandemic. You know, because I do not think the majority of our clients actually understood the degree to which racial minorities, racialized minorities were suffering the most during the pandemic. And because our clients take naturally a commercial view on all things, uh, you know, to point them at the, you know, towards the intersection of where their customers are struggling but are not being addressed in the moment of struggle It's a very difficult conversation to have with a commercial client because you have to talk about how this is an abandonment of a human being. It's not pure customer talk. There's almost a human rights issue at work here. There is a human rights issue at work here. So that's a really challenging area to navigate. It produced some really startled reactions because people were like, what? We We hadn't even thought of this. But the beautiful thing that happened to, to talk about that was that there was after the shock, there was, my God, what can we do moment about it, you know, and not everyone took action, I'm sorry to say, but those that did, those that were committed showed, showed their commitment, you know, uh, and came out determined to make some change happen. So that's great. Amazing. So we've all seen those, those docs where it's like suburban Sally and, you know, downtown Danny. And it's like the, you know, the, the client profiles or customer profiles, right? Whether you're brand side or agency side. Did you see changes in those or, or did you have to use those as maybe kind of like explanations to be like, hey, Suburban Sally is going through this, but Suburban Sally, who's from this community, is going through this? Absolutely. We literally created new profiles based on real life. So, you know, typically you, you create personas which are sort of neutral, you know, in a, in a way they're neutral. You're trying to be as truthful and as real with a persona even, but but we actually set the persona development aside and focused on real life stories to replace archetypes of, of personas you know so that people could actually understand what was actually going on and even simple things like the kind of choice you made if you were a certain kind of immigrant you came from a certain kind of immigrant community and the risk you exposed yourself to because you wanted your kids to just as an example to your kids to go to school physically go to school at a time when you know schools were open one day, shut another day, you know, open one day, shut another day. And so, yeah, there were all these negotiations happening. And then massive job loss across, you know, uh, the BIPOC community, massive job loss. And, you know, and where are the reliefs? You know, are they really reaching them? And then the issue of language, you know, because a lot of a lot of members of the BIPOC community don't speak English or French as a first language. And so access to reliefs are distant because of that. So yeah, we had to walk through all of that. We had to, we had to create new personas or replacement personas. 
And on that note, we had a question for the community. Did you see creative and marketing change because of that? Or did people just keep it status quo? Uh, No. Damn, no. I wish there was change. I wish there was more change. I wish we were seeing more real depictions of what was going on with the human impact, you know, on our population. But there was actually a lot of coolness, a lot of practicality, you know, in a lot of clients, you've got to acknowledge that there's a, there's a very big ships. Everyone talks about the pivot. A big ship doesn't pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, another client of mine described it as, uh, you know, water skiing behind the Queen Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a very wide turn. The yeah. pandemic will likely be over before we see some. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. change is actually rolling out. So, Siobhan, bring it over to you. Yeah. What did What did you see? What did you hear from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have the honor of being able to work for a company like Shopify, but I also consult with a consultancy called Brighton Early. So I have the honor of being able to guide a lot of different companies from a lot of different sectors along their DEI journeys and. What was interesting, and this is a, a mix of both of the questions, what was uncomfortable and like, what am I seeing is lots of openness to having discussions about what's happening in the world and the systemic racism and oppression and injustices that folks were, you know, navigating and going through. And I think like a win was having human dialogue, having dialogue to build empathy and understanding around what is the human condition in this world. And those humans are building your company. So it's not a separate issue. The discomfort starts to come in when you pose to founders, to leaders, to leadership, those same systems of oppression and injustice and racism and ableism and sexism exist within the organization. So what are we going to proactively do about that? And let's have that conversation. And there is a lot of tension that exists when you start to bring the conversation into, I mean, you know, these same contracts that exist outside to oppress exist within your companies. And are you willing to have that open and honest conversation and come up with a plan to not just like diversify your team, but to create an equitable and inclusive environment? And then are you willing to extend that past your internal strategy to how you build your product and how you market and, and all that? So I think the beautiful thing was that we're starting to have human conversations in the workplace. This is also like a lot of conversations happening about this right now. Do those human conversations belong in the workplace? Should we be talking about politics within the workplace? But they were happening. And as a practitioner, I was able in some instances to remove myself as a barrier between leadership and people who were being impacted. And that dialogue was happening directly between party A and party B. And that's extraordinarily powerful. Storytelling is an extraordinarily powerful tool to be able to build empathy. So I thought that was beautiful. The tension starts to come in when you start to have that real talk to be like, okay, let's confront these constructs within your organization. And potentially you've harm people from underrepresented and underserved communities. And can we have that conversation? We can't move past an action unless we have that conversation. So yeah, that's what I've kind of been seeing. That's where the point of like, you know, tension comes in. And fortunately, some organizations are open and willing to do that and move past. A lot of organizations are not. And I think that this has been fundamentally why we haven't been seeing enough organizations uh, creating sustainable change. They just want to have a conversation about the world, but not about themselves. You mentioned Shopify, great Canadian company, uh, homegrown right in Ottawa. You know, they looked themselves in the mirror. Why don't you get, what are some things that you saw there at Shopify? Just maybe give some, some, some hope in the midst of this, I think. For sure. There's lots of hope. But the thing that I will say is that 
diversity, equity, and inclusion isn't a thing that like is the responsibility of employee resource groups. It isn't something that somebody is doing with 20% of their time at Shopify. We have a dedicated team of like six individuals who literally lead this work. So being able to make a real investment in having dedicated resources and budgets, human resources and money, like money is key. Otherwise, people have a hundred other things to do. And you know, the, the energy it dies off because they weren't hired necessarily to solve this problem for your organization. So the good thing, or what I've seen at Shopify, is we've had those conversations, but we didn't get stuck in conversation. We moved into action as a team. We were able to guide some of those more difficult conversations. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But are we taking a stance? Are we doing something about it? We are. Is it messy? Absolutely. There's no way around it. You have to go through the messy middle. Otherwise, you're not going to get to like a better place. You're not going to create transformational change within your organization. But it's just so interesting when you look at what companies are willing to spend money on food, beverage, office perks, all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, hey, could we take like, you know, maybe a million of those dollars and reinvest them or $80,000 or work with a consultancy to help us do this stuff. And like the willingness to invest in something that will make you a better organization. It's just like fascinating when you, when you start to have those conversations. So there's hope, but you need to create a commitment and some dedicated resources. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, three hundred dollars You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash iron from using upside to help pay for a vacation later this year download the free upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas use promo code game to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code game for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank that's code game for a 25 cents per gallon bonus I love this question. It's come from the community saying, what is the breakdown of the diversity of people who work in DE&I? Like the, the six people, are they all six white people that they hired? No, I mean, I'm, I'm a lead on that team. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm a John, senior boom, lead. Look at it. That's great. <laughs> our, our, yeah, our director, David King, yeah. he's a black man. He's located in Washington. Preston, the other senior lead, is like openly gay and is also legally blind. We intentionally built that team. Do we have white people on our team? Absolutely. But do we also have great representation on the team? Absolutely. We need to be able to do that work. So yes, our team is pretty diverse. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I love, I don't love, but I've seen, and I won't call anyone out sp- specifically, but I've seen so many panels and conferences about DE and I, and they want to talk about it, but for some reason they only choose white males to be on that. They'll have those discussions. So kudos to Shopify. It's amazing. And they even have a whole department that kind of, they, they grew uh, to support the indigenous community globally, which is incredible. And I feel like this is a question I want to throw back to, you know, to you. Do you think these are trends? Like TikTok has these trends that come on for like a day or a week, right? A song gets really trendy. Do you think there are brands that are just trending it and they're going to do something for three or six months and then it's going to be off because it's not trendy anymore? Or do you think this stuff will last? So Chino, what you, what's your perspective on that? My honest take is, you know, I think it's for some performative. 
it is a trend for some and that's yeah. the sad truth, right? They want to kind of skirt, get really high level, start these discussions, but Siobhan was saying about not really getting into the messy middle, right? And kind of stopping there. So that's the reality. But I think what's great about this movement is that there are people who are saying, no, let's make a change. POCAM, for example, right? You know, how do we actually have tangible action that's going to change our industry, right? So, you know, again, going back to the boat reference and, you know, big ship, it's going to take some time to do that. But I do think that, you know, we're going to be small, but we're going to be mighty. And hopefully that'll change. And, you know, in 20 years, hopefully we're having this discussion and it looks a little different, right? And I wanted to make another point going back to kind of DEI groups, because I think, you know, of course we want representation there. And I think for people who, you know, when it's employee work group programs, often people of color kind of feel that pressure that they need to be the ones that are on this, right? I think it's also very important for organizations to remember you're dealing with that day to day. And sometimes you just want to do your work. It's not on you as a person of color to take that mantle. And so to mind yourself and, you know, how do you feel? And if it's something you're willing to take on, knowing the work that comes with it, and it's a lot, it's hard, it's arduous, it's painful, it's emotional. So don't feel that pressure at the same time as well. And yeah, there should be white people on those groups as well, taking and, and doing some of that work too. So I just wanted to say that because I think I know a lot of people reached out and just saying, I feel pressure to do this because there's no one else that can. So, yeah. Oh, I hear you. And, and here's a question on that, being that you're in the recruitment work world, going back to work in real life, IRL, for those that are doing it, do you think this will help the cause or hinder the cause? I think it'll help it 100%. You know, what this has allowed working remotely specifically, right? It opens up the barriers. So often, you know, I'm thinking about those, you know, cool, hot downtown Toronto agencies where, as we know, the Toronto market is insane. Rental prices are crazy and just moving there, right? If, as an intern, often you're not getting paid a livable Toronto wage because it's, you know, super high you're forcing people already needing to have a, a form of income or savings or a parental backing, right? And with that, and as we know, you know, socioeconomic differences between people, you're already just from systemically kind of giving it to only a few people that can actually come in physically into those Toronto offices, right? Um, which is disproportionately impacting people of color. So allowing people to work kind of anywhere they want to. And I think as well, more companies are starting to do a more of a blind process, right? Is not really look at the name, who cares? Look at their experience. If you're a designer, let's look at your portfolio only. And if we're gonna do a test, maybe, as an agency, we create a test to make it equitable because not everybody has the opportunities to work on a certain portfolio, right? Things like that, right? It'll open the barriers, I think, or kind of knock the barriers down, I should say. Awesome. So Gavin, I want to get your perspective on this. Recruitment, getting great talent, getting diverse talent, has the pandemic helped or hindered it? And, and what are you seeing right now? Uh, there's one practical issue where the pandemic had a really sort of heavy impact. Uh, immigration shut down. You know, well, it didn't shut down. It hit totally because some immigrants still managed to make it in. And, but it was a very small number compared to a typical year. Our visible minority immigrants, the majority of uh, immigrants are from Asia and Africa. And now the, uh, you know, Latin America as well, much less, to a much lesser degree, but still, that was a big impact. That was a big impact. It meant the fresh talent pool entering 
the stream was completely different over the last year than it was in years previously. That said, I actually had three contracts, people joined me on contracts during the pandemic who were brand new immigrants. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, it was still possible to proceed, but there was that direct practical. That would be the thing that I noticed most. I'm sure that Chino and uh, Sheriff have others that they noticed, but I, that was the thing that happened in the back of me as, as a hirer. Okay. And Siobhan, how about you? What, are you? what are you seeing, hearing as far as the recruitment side of things? And you know, are, are people open? Are you seeing kind of a hope there? Or is it more like the pandemic actually hurt? Yeah, there's two. I think you asked the earlier question about the performance of stuff. So I'm going to touch really quick yeah, on that, please. then I'll go really into it and I'll be fast, I promise. I always want to have like witty anecdotes and quotes I throughout, but I can never remember them in real time. But what I will say is that there's a lot of performative stuff happening out there. Mm-hmm. I have a 16-year-old sister. Mm-hmm. It is massively mind-blowing to see how that generation care about where they buy from, like the causes they support. My sister was at Black Lives Matters rallies. Like companies are still able to get away with doing the performative thing, but very soon they won't be able to because there's a whole generation of solution-based, solution-oriented youth coming up who will just build that company and make it better. They are not going to work and they are not going to settle for, you know, some of the inequities that a lot of us, myself included, have faced in their professional careers. So organizations are going to be able to get away with the performative stuff. I think that that's going to end very soon. And I think it's starting to end, even with people from my generation speaking up, speaking out and demanding better from the organizations that they work from. And you know what? Because of the pandemic, because so many organizations have opened up hiring globally, the fight for talent is very real. And this is not to toot my own horn, but like I have been working in this space for years and over the last year have been reached out to so many organizations being like, hey, we would love to hire you. Hey, we would love to hire you. Hey, we would love to hire you. In order to retain the best talent, we're going to have to figure your stuff out and you're going to have to do it for real, for real. So I just wanted to say that performative stuff is going to happen. There's going to be a lot of organizations who don't change their tune. Eventually, it's going to impact their bottom line. And eventually, there's just going to be a whole generation who build better companies and organizations. That's coming for people. The next 20 to 30 years, I have like astute faith. Mm-hmm. From a recruiting perspective, I am seeing like more flexibility in terms of where people can hire people from. Most mm-hmm. organizations, at least within the tech space, are hiring anywhere. It's this like whole mm-hmm. digital by design or digital by default or work anywhere in the world for our company. My biggest fear in that is that a lot of those companies will have a hybrid model. So you, yeah. you know, you can go to the office or you can work remotely. We do know that a lot of connections and interactions and relationships and context is built from those in-person interactions you have at the office. That's like one of the things I've missed the most. So how are you going to create an equitable experience for people who can't come into the office to be able to get those same opportunities, have those same water cooler conversations? I, I worry a little bit about like the inequities between in-office staff and remote staff. I think that that is going to be an interesting problem that a lot of organizations are going to have to solve. And I think we will we'll start seeing trends of like, who are the people who are working out of office and who are the people who are working in office? And how can we get ahead of those trends? I see a lot of caregivers who are just like, we're going to work from home. Like yeah. we're not going to go into the office. Like how's that going to impact their career trajectory over time? And you're going to see, like you were saying, you know, people can't afford to live in the cities 
often folks, new immigrants, people from racialized folks, how are you going to create that, like, you know, same access to the same opportunities? So it'll be interesting to see, but I hope companies and organizations are thinking about that right now, instead of thinking about it five years from now, when the disparity is too impossible to ignore. So I want to ask this of each of the panels, just a short answer here, but do you think like, and, and I think one of the coolest things that, that Pokem has done is, is just to call out what's going on, put up a mirror. I feel like Pokem is a massive mirror. Do you think agencies and brands on their staff section, and maybe we're mostly talking about agencies right now because they all love their staff section. Those that have a very, let's call it white staff section, like, do you think they are embarrassed or more aware and are doing something about it? Or what, what's your thoughts on that real quick? Right, start with you, Chino. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's not so much embarrassed because people will just keep moving as is. I think they're just more aware and kind of afraid. They're afraid now that they're so white when the whole world is saying you need to diversify. So it's opening up, will that change? Will it still change if you're at a certain power level? Sometimes tricky, right? So that's my thought. I think it's more afraid. Okay, Gavin? So I I think one of the things that's going to make agencies move eventually, uh, in addition to what Siobhan said, you know, about this generation that's coming up that's going to just change the world, yeah, on us. So if we better we better catch up with them at the very least. But another thing that is going to make agencies change is that as clients get more aware of the that generation's impact on their brands, they're also going to demand that their agencies keep pace with the change in society. And if the agencies haven't changed sufficiently, uh, frankly, every client should be demanding that the people sitting at the table with them, uh, you know, are diverse. Right now, at any table, in any presentation, you know, and that's actually in the call for equity. You know, those specific questions are in the call for equity. And the reason why there are three more questions just for clients in the call is because it recognizes that clients have tremendous power. The budgets that clients wield produce change. They force change. We have to be real about that, the monetary impact. So, so that's going to force. I think a lot of agencies are waking up to that reality. They're looking at themselves and saying, oh, my God, <laughs> we look like this. I didn't even realize we looked like this. You know, and some have decided to change before the clients ask them. Some yeah. are already being confronted in, you know, procurement questionnaires and RFPs. They're they've been confronted with the need for that change. So that change is going to come no matter what. I feel it will happen slowly. It's not happening fast enough, but it's it's coming. Javon? I wouldn't add anything too much to make a long one, but I would say that there are some like really small agencies that I have a lot of respect for. One of them, they're called Frontier. They're a small agency out of Toronto and they are breaking all of the barriers in terms of, hey, we're too small. Hey, we don't have enough money. They're just like, we're going to figure it out. And they are proactively, you know, owning their crap and charting a path forward and holding themselves publicly accountable. And I think it's great. I will also say on the other side of my mouth that, some of the most challenging clients I have worked with in terms of creating real systemic change have been agencies. So it's just been interesting because again, I think like their bottom line, they're still making their money and their clients haven't started holding them accountable to doing better, like Gavin said. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over time. Okay. So on that, in light of that, you know, your advice, you know, there happens to be someone listening to this show right now. There's people maybe that are attending that are saying, man, I, I have that white agency. I'm like, I'm here because of that. 
I have the conviction and you showed me the data. So what do I do? Do I fire someone and then replace them with a token person? Like, what do I do? I'm scared, right? You, you, you said it, you're right. I'm scared and I'm embarrassed and I need to know what to do. So what, what's your advice to, to that person that's even too afraid to even ask that question? First of all, don't be afraid to ask, um, ask for help. But number one, let's not tokenize people. That's the worst thing to do. It's horrible being a person of color coming into a very white space. No matter how you flip it, you will always feel like that. So being very cognizant of that is very important. When you're hiring people, it's, you know, tokenism is thinking, okay, we're bringing somebody on because of their color. Why aren't you bringing someone on? Because they're excellent. Mm-hmm. right? This person that you're bringing on is excellent at what they do. You want to hire the best people. I didn't know an agency that said, okay, I'm going to settle for subpar. We're always striving to bring on the best. So yes, that person who's a per- also a person of color is also incredible at what they do. And if that's not your mindset, you shouldn't do that. How to get there is saying, okay, let's not just think inside this box because that's what a lot of agencies and clients do. They have a list of requirements on a job description that is naturally just, it doesn't bode well for underrepresented people. So how can you think outside of that box and working with other organizations and POCAM and signing the call for equity to kind of find opportunities to better your hiring processes because there are tons of talented people of color out there. And to think that you're just going to tokenize somebody is wrong. And how do you find those people? Because I've heard that before. I've literally heard someone say, well, I don't know anyone. I don't know any Indigenous people, let alone anyone Indigenous in marketing. They don't exist. So how do they find them besides like Indeed and LinkedIn? Like what's what's the trick here? You have to be proactive. Those people aren't always on Indeed or they're not on LinkedIn or you know what? You don't even know who they are because it's not always something that you can tell, Darian. I'm sure you can imagine this yourself, right? It's finding, like doing your research and going to those spaces, right? Black Talent Initiative. Thank you, Christina. It's great for that as well. Let's give them a shout out. Like there are organizations that are out there that will help you to find that and bring people together. Um, So it's an excuse. There's a way to do it. So let's not make excuses anymore. Okay, Siobhan, I want, to throw, I want to throw a scenario at you. I'm not going to name the province, but there's a province right now that is saying, wow, our tech sector and MarTech sector is full of white bros, white dudes, right? So they're saying, we're going to do something about it. We're going to put this $30 million into uh, this fund. And we got two options. One, we could train them earlier on and deal with the root issue of like, we're going to train people from the BIPOC community to get better training, better resources, better awesomeness. Um, Or we could give money to the companies to incentivize them to hire people. And so they are highly leaning towards saying, hey, if you hire some of the BIPOC community, we're going to give you $8,000. And they think it's a quick, so I won't say my opinion, but I want to know what's your thoughts? What should they do? If you had $30 million and you were a province right now, how would you you place it? Solve for the core of the problem. And if that is that you're noticing in your province, there's lack of representation in certain sectors, then let's invest in getting more people into that sector. I think incentivizing companies to hire more people from any community runs the risk, like Chino just said, of you hiring those people for the wrong reasons and seeing it as a checkbox. I did the thing, I'm done. And like, you know, we can have a whole conversation around hiring folks from 
diverse communities is step one, but like, what else are you doing inside of your organization to ensure that policies and programs, your culture isn't harmful to those very same people so that you can actually retain them? What are you doing to ensure that, you know, compensation is equitable across all dimensions of diversity? What are you doing to make sure that, you know, promotions are being equitably, you know, like everybody has equitable access to them. So that like, here's money to hire diverse folks is not going to solve the problem. It's going to make it worse. And people who are already biased and have biases for folks from underrepresented communities, people who are already racist and ableist, and they will become more because there's a question in the chat about like, you know, what about me, the like white bird? Like these people just take the jobs and they're not like, they can't even do the job. I've heard that narrative before. Like you're not doing anything. It's more harmful than helpful give money to the communities and invest in the communities and they will be great and they will be excellent. Like we have seen that put the money in the right place. Don't give more money to the organizations by incentivizing them. I think that'll be more harmful. So Kevin, I got to ask this question. Why have so few clients, clients had signed the CFE? What's going on? What's happening? I would, I would like to say that change is not happening fast enough. The, you know, this is me from the outside looking into a client organizations and saying that many, many client organizations are actually doing diversity better in terms of hiring internally. You know, so my clients, I know, have extremely diverse employee workforces, but that's not the same thing as making an overall commitment to diversity in a deep sense, all the way through to the grassroots. Uh, there is a simple test for it. The call for equity is one test in the marketing and advertising industry. You know, have you signed? But the other test is simply, you know, when you are speaking about all your wonderful diversity performative, you know, speaking about the performative thing, when you are making these big public announcements and these, you know, massive press conferences about the big diversity thing you're doing, this equity thing you're doing, have you actually spoken to that community that you're saying that you're helping? Have you placed, for example, ads in those publications that are read by those communities? If you've made these big public announcements and you're actually physically absent from the ground, you know straight up that this is performance. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I think there's a, still a lot of that going on. There, for self-preservation reasons, com companies aren't making these, uh, you know, uh, taking these stands, but it has got to go beyond self-preservation in terms of real, real interaction, real commitment. And the call is a place to start. So rather than trying to speculate on why they're not there, I'm going to say, this is an invitation. If there are clients out there you know, send them the call, you know, bring them on board. This is a chance for them to do more to report progress. Amazing. Money talks, leadership positions, they can be held accountable. Thank you for being here. There's so many more things we can talk about. We got seven minutes left here. We want to open it as well up for Q&A and to wrap panel you were amazing. I'm sure you wouldn't mind if someone reached out to you, whether it was on Twitter, LinkedIn, a fax, little messenger bird, whatever method is necessary. I think there's lots of still more great questions to talk about anywhere from, you know, talent, um, you know, whether it's in stock imagery or talent behind the camera and in front of the camera. What does that look like? So many more uh, discussions to have. And I think this is just the beginning. I think POCAM is a catalyst for this. So please continue to support the community, be involved in the community, ask those hard questions. 
And I think, yeah, I think we're continuing to see it. And I think we're seeing it. People are trying. We look at Sephora, right? They attempted with this amazing video, but even they got called out because they missed, you know, the Afro-Indigenous person in their video, right? And so I think we're living in a very accountable world. And I think we're, people are trying. And I think we got to give some kudos to those that are trying, but also continue to hold people to account if they continue to have all white juries, all white judges, all white staff. And I don't even think call them out in an angry way, but maybe to just, you know, prove it with your money, put your money where your mouth is. So I think a lot of great thoughts, a lot of great discussions. So Alina, I'm going to pass it over to you. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. What an amazing panel. And I love ending it at put your money where your mouth is. That is incredibly important. So thank you, Chino. Gavin, Siobhan, and Darian. We really, really appreciate your time. I think we tried to get to everyone's questions, but if we haven't gotten to your question and it's something that you desperately want to hear from one of us, one of our panelists, feel free to reach out to us at any of these channels. Many of you are part of our LinkedIn group. Shoot us a message on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We will make sure to get back to you with a with as thoughtful of an answer as possible. Uh, but also we have a lot going on. So the POCAM team is working really hard on a bunch of different programming activities and ways for you all to get involved in, in our community. Because one of the biggest things we've seen is there's a huge power in community. And this community when brought together, can be incredibly powerful. And so what we would love is for you all to follow along as we mark our journey. And there's going to be lots of ways for you all to get involved, including, you know, different town halls coming up into in the future. And so with that, what I'd love to do is first off, thank all of you for attending today. I would also just want to give everybody one final reminder to sign the call for equity if you haven't done so already. Also, if you have signed the call for equity, please head in there, log in the way Josh showed us how, update your status against those commitments and demonstrate that accountability to creating a more inclusive industry. As we've talked about time and time again today, accountability demands action and that action is actually what's going to lead to change. And so the more we can show that and the more we can demand that of those in our circle, our peers, uh, our leaders, and our allies. Let's continue to demand that accountability. And so with that, we are so grateful for this community, for our community, who together with our allies, we want to work together to continue to build that industry that will demonstrate diversity, that will be inclusive, and uh, be an industry that we all belong to and that we all deserve. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.